Amen. 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 Get your water gun. Let's charge hell with a water pistol. Some of you need to wake up a little bit after you're hearing a song like that. Wow, let's just have the invitation. I love what you said there. If you got a Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to get right at it this morning. Nehemiah chapter 4. I love what Connie said there, and you said it better than I had planned to say it this morning, so thank you. Many of us live defeated Christian lives. And uh, it, it's a miserable existence. I have been one of those miserable, defeated Christians. I hope I won't be one in the future, but discouragement and despair can sometimes set in and get into our hearts and our lives in, in such a way that we feel defeated. And, and I know maybe some of you have felt this way. I've felt this way where you almost wish you weren't even alive because you feel so defeated and oppressed. If there's ever a time on planet Earth, especially in the United States of America, where I see the power of the enemy, Satan, trying to make us feel defeated. It's the year in which we live right now. And we're not defeated. We're not defeated. Though we sometimes live like we're defeated, we are not defeated. I, I remember many years ago when I was much younger playing paintball at a youth retreat, and I had set up my strategy... I had gotten my gun and it was fully loaded and I had on the goggles and all the protective gear because nowadays we protect ourselves from everything. You know, back in the day, you, I'm sure you played paintball and you didn't have any protective gear, but this particular time I had on all the protective gear and I was watching in the distance as the team that, I, that was against us kind of came out of their fort. It was kind of the capture the flag kind of deal. You were supposed to get into their fort and capture their flag. And so I didn't know where the rest of my crew was, but I'm bunkered under this hill and I'm watching and I see them leave their fort unprotected. And I count as they all leave their little fort and I'm like, okay, nobody's there. I'm going in. I'm going in. And so I go down in this valley and I start up the hill and I'm, I'm looking and I'm observing, making sure nobody's there. And I run into this fort and before I could respond, it was like... All of them somehow had circled back around into the fort. And I'm standing up and it looked like I was playing a game of... What's the game of Twister? Is that the game with all the colored dots on it? Because there's all these dots all over me and they had fully unloaded. And uh, there were whelps on me for days, I'll just say. If you've ever played paintball, I would rec recommend wearing three or four or five layers of clothing. Because there were whelps on me for days. We, we are in a much more real spiritual battle than playing paintball. We don't think about it a lot because, as Connie so excellently said and the Scripture tells us, the battle happens in the heavenly realms. And so because we can't sometimes see it with our physical eyes, we don't even think about as we go about our day-to-day -day, that there is a spiritual battle going on. And if you don't recognize it, you're doomed for destruction. If you're a child of God and you don't recognize you're in a spiritual battle, I hope today you'll realize you're in a spiritual battle. Because you are, and I am. And maybe you've become so disheartened or defeated or in despair that you are like that fish that just lays in the stream and lets the current carries it wherever it wants to go. And there, there's no worse place that we as believers can be is to be like that fish and just let the water of life carry us wherever it wants. You may say, well, I don't really feel that battle today. Well, then you might want to take spiritual inventory. 
Because if you're going in the same direction as the stream of the world, then you, you might not be fighting the enemy like God has prepared for you and I to fight. We've been studying the story of Nehemiah. And I'll tell you what, as I have been reading this again over the last few weeks, it has become, uh, again, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to look at it together. And so uh, I want to encourage you to, when you leave today, to be able to say, you can't take my gun. Now, I know in our world, I'm not talking political here. I know in our world these things are going on. But I'm talking again about the spiritual idea of preparing yourself for spiritual battle. So, so let's look at it together. Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, we'll kind of follow along here. And I'll make some stops along the way as you've recognized by now I like to do when we read God's Word. Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm in the New American Standard. So you may have a different translation, but let's read it. Chapter 4, verse 1. It came about when Sanballat... Now let's stop right there. Do you remember Sanballat? We, we picked up in him earlier in the story. He's not a good guy. He's one of the cronies. He's one of the people that likes to poke fun at God. So Nehemiah refers to here Sanballat. Heard we were rebuilding the wall. He became furious and very angry, and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria. And he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it? In other words, the wall for themselves. Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble? Even the burned ones. Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, you remember him, was near Sanballat. And he says, yeah, even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Spiritual warfare. You remember last week we looked at these gates. And if you remember, they're in the process of building the wall. When we finished last week looking at chapter 3, everybody kind of said, all hands on deck, I'm ready. And so they start this process of rebuilding the wall, and they start to get make, made fun of. And the first thing that you and I need to know about spiritual warfare is this. We've got to be able to peg the goons. You say, what is that? What is that? Peg the goons. I'm so glad you asked. Peg the goons. When we say peg, I don't know if anybody's used this terminology with you before, but sometimes people will say to me, they'll, they'll get to know me, and they'll go, well, I, I pegged you for that. You know, I pegged you. I knew you were a sweet tea drinker. I knew you loved sweet tea. I pegged you for that. You know, they kind of put you in a box. They pegged you. They identified. They discern what kind of person you are. And for us in our world, if we're going to fight the spiritual battle, we've got to peg the goons. We've got to understand and be able to identify who those goons are, those thugs, those bullies. We even looked at bullies last week. And a goon, that's what a goon is, a, a bully or a thug. Hired to terrorize or to create opposition. You know, it's interesting. Criticism draws a crowd. Probably the easiest thing for you and I to do in our humanity is criticize. Because it comes naturally. And criticism draws a crowd. So you read in these verses, in verse 1, Sanballat is the one who hears first about the rebuilding of the wall. He gets furious and angry. And so what does he do? He does what a critical gossiper does. He goes in verse 2, it says, He spoke in the presence of his brothers and this wealthy man. He throws out a few comments. What are these feeble guys doing? What are, these, what are they doing? And what happens? His criticism causes somebody else to jump on the bandwagon and chime in. And his friend, 
chimes in, Tobiah verse 3 says, yeah, yeah, even what they're building, if a little fox jumped over on that wall, it would fall apart. Criticism loves company. And these folks are not only angry in their hearts, but they were angry in their words. You know, it's one thing to have someone be critical of you in their hearts and keep it to themselves. It's another thing for them just to spew criticism at you. Constructive criticism is okay, but it's all about tone and delivery and presentation. All oh, the joys of social media. Because now we can be critical and not just constructive in our criticism, we can spew it in whatever tone, whatever delivery, whatever wording we want. And you can cross the line of being constructive in your criticism to come, coming across with hatred and envy. Boy, that describes our world, doesn't it? There's many times I want to throw my laptop out the window. And get off those news feeds. Because you see some people just attacking each other. And some of them saying they're even believers. We need to understand who our fight is. Connie said, who our fight is against. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not even against who we would deem as secular companies that don't stand for the things of God. Say, so Jack, what are you talking about? Man, I remember when I was growing up back in the 80s, our church and churches all over the Southern Baptist Convention and all over the world thought we were going to boycott Disney World. See how that worked out for us. We gave them a lot of free promotion. I just read where the ticket prices are going up again. And they'll be packed. They'll be packed. Does that work? I don't think so much it does. I think maybe it's time for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to begin to identify the people, not the corporations, but the people who are goons in our lives and who can bring about spiritual warfare and destruction. And Nehemiah did that very quickly. These guys begin to ridicule him. Now, there's a lot more to be said in this chapter about spiritual warfare, but when I was reading this passage again last night, the thought came to me, who am I? If I just stop right there with those first three verses and ask myself the question, who am I in this story? Who would I be? Well, let's be honest, preacher. Who would you be? Well, there's some days of the week I'd be Nehemiah. There's some days of the week, if I'm honest... I'd be Samballot. Don't look at me all holy than thou. Because you might be too. So we have to be very, very careful that even our words as believers are seasoned with salt as the Bible teaches us and that we respond in the appropriate way. You know, I had a friend of mine in ministry tell me early on, he said, you know, the same rocks that people throw at you while you're there will be the ones that they use to build a monument in your honor after you're gone. Maybe you've seen that happen in your workplace. I remember serving on a church staff, quick story, years and years and years ago. And the church was growing and I was a student pastor and the student ministry was growing and we ran out of room, we ran out of space, much like we are in the children's ministry here at Crossroads. We ran out of space and the only space that we had that was possible to actually put these teenagers, which was about 40 of them, was in the old chapel. And that old chapel had pews in the chapel. Hard pews, not nice cushioned ones like you have. I see some of you looking down going, praise God for the cushion. Amen, amen. 
but hard pews in this chapel. So I made a suggestion as the student pastor, Heath, can we, can we take those pews out so that we can put some nice cushion chairs in there? And the whole church can use it, not just for the student ministry. We won't go crazy with the walls and, you know, splatter paint them or anything. We'll keep it neat, but just for us to have a space to have Bible study, can we do it? You'd have thought that I was voting to bring in satanic worship or something. I mean, th things went off the hinges. Long story short, when the student ministry kept growing and kids kept coming to Christ and students started being baptized, people got a little quieter. Many, many years later, what, 25 years later? It's interesting. Now that's the building, that's the room in the church everybody wants to be in and everybody wants to use. And yet some of the people that I thought were dear friends were the ones that stabbed my wife and I. Of course, we weren't married yet. that We were dating. Stabbed us in the back. Be careful. Not just in church ministry, but in the workplace, in your friendships. People can wear disguises. They can be sheep in wolves' clothing, and they can look like they're your friend. And meanwhile, you're going about trying to live for God, and then all of a sudden, right in the back. So Nehemiah was smart here. He was watching. We're going to see how else he persevered. You know, the prerequisite to being a champion like Nehemiah is beginning to take that first major step of faith. And so he does. He begins to rebuild the wall. And if you and I are going to face spiritual warfare, we've got to be able to peg the goons. But the other thing we've got to do is pray to God. What does he say? He says in verse 4, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their repro reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. Wow. How do you like that kind of prayer? There's a model prayer. <laughs> Sounds a little di different from the prayer Jesus told us to pray. I don't know if you've ever had something happen bad in your life or somebody mistreats you or you, you identified somebody who was a goon in your life and they did something to you. Somebody told me last week, I think it was, I was talk, when we were talking about all the gates and we were talking about forgiveness somehow at the end of the service and somebody said, well, the Bible says what you're supposed to do when you, you know, you turn the other cheek and then you turn that cheek, but what do you do when you run out of cheeks? And so here we have Nehemiah Who's, who sees his friends being ridiculed that are building this wall and all this criticism and beyond criticism, hatred and people being made fun of. And he cries out to God and he prays to God, which should be our response. He says, hear, O God, we are despised. When I read that again last night, I thought that is a perfect description of how those who are opposed to the things of God view you. And me. We're despicable. We're despised. We're unloved. That is how the world sees us. And when you, when you read this prayer, it's a little bit scary, to be honest, because when you read this prayer, it's like, wow, is that really the great way to pray? Hear us, he says, turn their insults back on them. Give them over as plunder. Do not cover up their guilt. And luckily, I studied that a little bit because at face value, you could go, wow, is that the way we're supposed to pray for our enemies? Because that's not what Jesus said. 
His prayer is not just a prayer, but it is a a prophetic kind of utterance because he knows what's going to happen for people who are opposed to the things of God. He knows what is to come. And so do you and I, as Ronnie prayed in his prayer today. We already know who wins the victory. We're kind of in that in-between point right now. And those that cast contempt on God's people need to prepare themselves for an everlasting shame unless they turn back to God. I know you and I look at the world and it is seemingly out of control and there are people who are totally opposed to the things of God. You may work with some of those people. You may go to school with some of those people. But unless they turn, repent, and come to know Jesus Christ, they will one day realize who the victor is. And so here we are in this in this spiritual battle. And the wall, don't forget, the wall at this point we're going to discover is up at about half of its height. Because the people, remember last week, the people had a mind to work. And their hearts were in it. And so he prays. And it says in verse 6, We built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So if we're going to be in this spiritual battle, we've got to be able to discern who the good guys are and the bad guys, so to speak. We've got to be able to peg the goons. We've also got to be able to understand that our prayer should be first to God. But then the next thing that we'll note here in verse 7, and I love what it says here, is we have to plug the gaps. Plug the gaps. Verse 7 says this, It came about when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, you see how the crowd is growing? The criticism and the hatred is growing. They're adding more people into their voices and the Ashtodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. Some translations, I think maybe the NIV says, and the gaps were being closed. Who has the NIV or translation that says gaps? I like that better. The gaps being closed. So here's the question. For you and for Nehemiah, I think he asked an important question when it comes to fighting spiritual warfare. Where are the gaps in your life? Most of us who live defeated as Christians, and usually it's in one or two areas if we're honest, and I'm going to be honest with you this morning, there are areas of my life sometimes where I feel like I'm in defeat. And when you're in defeat in those areas, more than often, most often it is because you have failed to plug the gaps. What does that mean, plug the gaps? It means you don't have anybody in your life, like uh, Tripp just talked about, who's holding you accountable. You've decided that you, in and of yourself, can be a superhero Christian. Shame on you. There's only been one superhero Christian. His name is Jesus. And by the way, he had the three, and he ultimately had the 12 disciples, but ultimately had three core people to help him. Now, they didn't, he didn't need accountability, but he did need friendship. And if you and I think we can go through this spiritual walk by ourselves, we are sadly mistaken. I cannot do it. You cannot do it. I'm human. The enemy knows each of us well enough to know where those key areas are where he can come and get into our life and take us out. Don't forget, that's his purpose. It's not to give you a birthday party. The enemy hates you and he hates me. And if you're trying to live for him and bring glory to God, the enemy, the devil, hates that. And he hates you because that's what you're about. And that's your mission. 
And so if there's just some area in your life where you're going, wow, I struggle here, can I beg you, can I beg you this morning to find somebody you can trust? Be careful that it's not a goon. Find somebody you can trust and say, I'm struggling here, I need you to help me plug the gaps in my life. How do you know that you're being deceived? You don't. That's the definition of deception. The only way you and I can cease being deceived is it takes someone from the outside to bring revelation to what's happening in our life and say, hey, watch out, watch out. That's why teenagers, are, your parents are so important. That's why old people, older people are so important. Because sometimes you get so focused, narrowly focused in what you're doing, you can't see other things. And you need somebody from the outside. Yes, the Holy Spirit is great and powerful. But you need somebody from the outside that can say, Hey, 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 watch out. You're headed down a dead end road. Bridge is out. Watch out, watch out. And if you and I are so prideful that we don't allow somebody in our life like that, we are doomed for destruction. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching hard because this has been true in my own life. Times I fail over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again in a certain area of life happens because I have failed to allow someone that I trust to speak into my life and say, can I help you plug the gaps? You say, well, Jack, I, I'll just pray about it. I'll just pray about it. Fantastic. Pray, pray, pray. But Jesus told us in Matthew 26, 41, prayer was not enough. You say, did he really? Are you being heretical? Yeah, he said prayer was not enough. Matthew 26, 41. He said, watch and pray. If we think we're going to secure ourselves by prayer only without watchfulness, we are slothful and we're tempting God. And if we think we're going to just do it by watching and not praying, we're proud and we slight God. And either way, we're forfeiting God's protection. And part of God's protection, yes, is the Holy Spirit and God ultimately protecting us. But part of God's protection is brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why community is so important. That's why small groups on Sunday morning is so important. That's why groups on Sunday night is so important. It's great to come together and worship on Sunday morning. I love it. This is one of the highlights of my week. On Saturday night, I'm chomping at the bits. I can't wait to be here with you guys and worship and sing and read God's word. It's awesome. But I will tell you, if this is the one hour or 70 minutes or 80 minutes that I spend time with you in God's word, singing and worshiping, and that's it for the week, look out. You're going to see me on the evening news. I'm going to crash and burn. And you are too. You say, why would, why, why would that happen? Why? Because verse 8 tells us, all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance. Why? The world is conspiring together to take us out. And I'm not just talking about necessarily physically. I'm talking about spiritually. They want to destroy any witness that we have. So please, plug the gaps. Plug the gaps. Can I ask you this question this morning? And I'm asking myself this morning, where are the holes in your spiritual life? Where are the holes in your spiritual life? Where are those areas of your life where you feel unprotected, 
Paul has a whole chapter in his book to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks about putting on the full armor of God. And if you don't put on the full armor of God, he tells us to do that. Why? So we can stand firm, stand firm, stand. He says that several times in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Stand, stand, stand. How can you and I stand in a world that is just so turbulent and chaotic, spiritually speaking, if we're not wearing the armor of God, and part of that armor is making sure the gaps are plugged, that we're protected, because the world is plotting against us, just like the world was plotting against Nehemiah. You may say, Jack, does that mean you see, you're like those guys who see a demon behind every bush? No, I don't see a demon behind every bush. Everything is not the devil's fault. I know some of us grew up with this comedian way back in the day named Flip Wilson, who anytime he did something wrong would say, well, the devil made me do it, the devil made me do it. No, sometimes you and I choose to do things that are wrong. We don't need any help. But we are in a spiritual battle. And so we have to use the discernment God has given us. So how else can we fight the spiritual battle? Number four, we've got to post the guard. When Nehemiah discovers and he shares with us that all of them in verse 8 had conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem. In verse 9 he says, we pray to our God and because of them, because of this information, because we knew all of them were conspiring together to take us out and defeat us, he says in verse 9, we set up a guard against them day and night. Post the guard around you. Day and night, be on the alert. Your enemy is roaring about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Set up a guard day and night. You say, what, what does that mean? Let me ask it this way. Who and what? Who or what? Do you have stationed or positioned around your life to guard you? Do you have anything around you to guard you? I was sharing with the staff, I think this was a couple weeks ago, about one of my heroes of the faith... Dr. Billy Graham, I was reading his autobiography, and I heard this story different times that he had even shared this when he was alive at Crusades, that when he would go do Crusades, one of the things that he would do, it was his personal conviction. He would not get in an automobile with a female. When he was touring around and they would take him places, he would not get in a vehicle with the opposite sex. He would not get into the elevator with the opposite sex. When he would get to the hotel room that they had paid for him to stay in, when he would get to the cities to do his crusade, he would send in a couple of guys to his hotel room before he would go in to check and make sure nobody was in there and to take out the TV and everything in there that could get, have access to things that he didn't need in his life. And you may hear some, something like that and you may go, well, Jack, that's a little extreme, is it? We'll be talking about Billy Graham for hundreds of years from now as an honorable man of God because he posted guards in his life to protect himself. And I'm sure it inconvenienced him. Now you're saying, well, Jack, is that what I should do? I, I'm not going to suggest what you should do. That was a personal conviction of him. And all of us need to be walking in step with God that we come up with our own personal convictions. Personal convictions are different than absolute truth. The absolute truth of God says, keep your mind pure. 
And Dr. Billy Graham's conviction is, okay, one of the ways I'm going to do that for myself is I'm going to post a guard. I'm going to have a personal conviction. I will not get in the elevator, a vehicle with a female, yada, yada, yada. That doesn't mean that's what you have to do. But it's not a bad idea. He posted the guard. Where did he post the guard? Verse 10, it says, Thus in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing. There is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Verse 11, Our enemies said, They will not know or see until we come along them, kill them, and put a stop to their work. In other words, the enemy is saying, Nehemiah, They are not going to know what hit them to the last minute, and boom! Because they're going to be unprepared, is what the enemy thought. But verse 12, it says, And it came about when the Jews who lived near them came. The Jews kind of came in and informed Nehemiah and told him ten times. Said, hey, they're going to come up against us from every place where you may turn. So what was Nehemiah's response? He listened and he stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and he stationed the people in families. He stationed the people in families. Wow, interesting with their swords, spears, and bows. He positioned them in the upper places and in the lower places. With swords, spears, and bows. Verse 14, When I saw their fear, I rose and I spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. And he's going to give them some instructions in just a minute. But when it comes to posting your guard, let me just say this. It's interesting. We're going to discover... They were up high on, on the half of the wall, so that if people came down from the lower part of the wall and tried to attack, then they could sling things down and hit the enemy that way. Then they were behind the wall, so that if people came running toward the wall, they could jump out and they could have, use their spears or their swords. He was very strategic. <clears throat> Each person, by the way, we're going to discover had a job. Each person had a job. Let me say that again. Each person had a job. When I read this today, here's another question that came to my mind. I'm just going to, I love you. I'm going to ask you this question. Do you have a job? Not paid, but do you have a job in the church of Jesus Christ as my brother or my sister in the church of Crossroads Baptist Church? Do you have a job? You see, because it was all hands on deck as we discovered last week in the last chapter. It was everyone had a job. Now, in the church world, most of the time, it's 20% does 80% of the work. I don't think Crossroads is quite that low. But I would say there may be some of us today that we could take our spot. We could rise up and be, be at our post. Why? Not just so you can check your, thing, check your little list and go, oh, I do this at Crossroads. No, we need you. I need you. We need each other. If you're not here, part of the wall is unprotected. Not everybody can be on top of the wall. Not everybody can be behind the wall. We need all hands on deck because it is very important that we protect ourselves. And what happens if we don't have enough people is people can get discouraged. And that's what happened because they get fearful. And Nehemiah says in verse 14, he rose up and he spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. He said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan and then all of us returned to the wall, each one to their work. So what do we have to do to fight in 
the spiritual battle. Don't forget the goal. Picture the goal ahead of you. Nehemiah helps the people remember what the goal is. He gives them two very important things, and we're going to wrap up. I'm surprised I got done in one week. I thought this was going to take about three weeks. He gives them two big pieces of advice. We could spend a whole week talking about this. Here's the first one. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. In this spiritual battle that you and I face each and every day of the week, can I just encourage you, remember whom you fight under. El Capitan, as they say in the village in the Dominican Republic, El Capitan is Jesus. He's our captain. He's our Lord. I love going there in the summertime for Bible camp. I know many of you are going to join me. And our director will say, Atichion! And all the kids will like... And they'll say in Spanish, which I know very little, as you can tell, they'll basically say, I'm reporting for duty to serve King Jesus. What a great picture to be reminded whom we fight under. He is the king. He has overcome. He is overcoming in your life and mine. If we will submit to him, we win. We win. That's the leader of our team. So he says, remember who you fight under, but he also reminds them, remember who you fight for. Who are you fighting for? He says, your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. Wow. When they acted as workmen, they were dispersed wherever there was work to do, but when they were as soldiers, they came in close together to be found in unity as one body. So how about you today? You know, Satan has a great tactic to help us forget the goal. And you know what it is? Our memory. You know what his other tactic is to help us forget the goal? Silence. One of the reasons I've asked you to share your testimony about what God's doing in your life is because that gives voice to what God is doing. And the enemy doesn't like that. Because it points to God working. So we can't be silent. And when you share your testimony, I'm telling you what, I, I, I think this is the case for all of us, but for me, it is a picture uh, that keeps the vision burning strong in my heart to keep pursuing after God. You know, it's like the picture, maybe some of you have this on your refrigerator of the, of the big athlete. Tripp probably has one on his refrigerator. The big bulky athlete... You know, when I was on a diet, I'd put a picture of this guy, Hulk Hogan or somebody. So every time I'd go to the refrigerator and open it, you know, want to get that extra, you know, piece of chocolate cake or whatever, I'd see the picture and go, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. And that picture in front of me kept me on track. Because the enemy wants to get us off track. So as we wrap up, just a couple of questions for you. How are you handling spiritual warfare? Is your gun ready? Don't let them take that gun. How are you fighting spiritual warfare? Have you identified those people in your life, maybe who are those who you thought were friends, but they're not, they're just, they're just goons? Are you praying to God? Are you plugging those gaps in your life? Are you posting guards in your life? Please don't forget we win. We got a ways to go. And while we're here on the, still here on the planet, God has a work for us to do collectively. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you 
for your love for us. Thank you for the message of Nehemiah. Thank you for the man of God and the warrior that he is and the way that he teaches us and demonstrates to us how to encounter spiritual warfare. The, the question is not, will we encounter spiritual warfare? We all, everybody in this room knows that we will. Some of us are in the thick of it right now. The question is, what do we do when it comes? So Lord, I pray for these friends in this room, and I pray, if I can, even for myself, God, we desire to be holy, to be effective for you in the work that you called us to do. So if there are areas in our, in our lives where we need to plug in the gaps, plug in the holes, post guards, pray to you, whatever it is, I pray that we would respond in obedience today. Please don't allow us, Lord Jesus, please don't allow us, if we're finding ourselves in a defeated situation, to stay defeated. That's not what you want. You promised life and life abundant. So if we need to just confess something to you or find a friend that we can share with, I pray that you would help us to follow through today. And we'll give you the glory for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You've heard the message. I hope that God spoke it to your heart. If you need to respond some way publicly, I'll be down here. I'm going to ask my friend Heath as well to be here. We'd love to pray with you. Don't, don't leave here defeated today. And just because you walk the aisle doesn't mean you're defeated. But if you need to do business with the Lord, you do that this morning. Let's stand and Joey will lead us in our invitation hymn.